With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ariel Hawani, host of the MMA Hour on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Each week, we interview the biggest names in the world of mixed martial arts and beyond. So tune in live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern over at MMAfighting.com or download the show afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you then. The flavor that Joel brings, you know, is a competitiveness. It's not... It's not as much that he's angry or upset. It's that, you know, there's a competitive flavor. I swear to God that the LaCroix is always running out. Good. So, that, that's not good. that. That wasn't part of the whole good food category. <laughs> I was gonna say good. It should be right now. <laughs> well, it's just like I never have any in my fridge, and I think that's the fault of somebody at Vox Media. I think that's you have to steal two yes. every day. That's what I do. You drink one, and that way you accumulate an extra. Where do you put the right, stolen one? There's there's none to steal. Yeah, where, where, where do you where do you put the stolen Dallas one? Office. What do you say? Mike? Where do you put the stolen one? I take two. Laquaz, home yeah. every night. Oh, home. Okay, but but they're out of the refrigerator for a decent amount of time. Do they do they skunk? Does water skunk? It's not water. It's no. seltzer water, isn't it? Yeah, it's shitty Mike. water. It's water, brother. It's are you, shitty water. Are you are you kidding me? Right it's like if you took water and made it way more than it should be. This is staying in the podcast. <laughs> Look, why why does anyone drink this if that's all it is? Why not it's, just drink it's water? So, it's so pretentious. It's shitty water. Water doesn't need to be improved. Yeah, it's, it's age old. There's no doubt about it. Water is probably the most perfect thing that's in nature. My my parents made me pretentious with water. We grew up with a. Uh, we had like a separate water spout on the sink that was a reverse osmosis, and so I fully blamed them. Yo, Tim, same. So anyway, same. I had the same thing. When, yeah, so yeah, yeah, so uh, like when I drink tap water, like there is a there is a taste. I guess just like the metals around. I know it's safe to drink. Like that's not my concern, but there is like a very small taste to it. No, that, no, there are like certain waters that taste different. Like certain bottled water tastes different. Like certain bottled water tastes different from I agree, each other. I agree. Yeah, bottled water still, tastes better. It's still somehow. water. It's well, still water. Can you just can you describe the differences? Uh, uh, usually, tap water has like a metallic taste or something like that. It's yeah, safe, yeah. but it's it's a it's more of a metallic taste or something. Like you can feel that it's ran through like metal. Yes. Like, taste it. Yes. Okay. I, think that's I definitely can't taste that, but sure. Whitney, does this make any sense to you? Uh, I straight up drink Coke Zero. So. No water. <laughs> just skip just straight to Coke Zero. <laughs> I got nothing. It's like my wife and iced yeah. tea. She just skips the water and goes right to the iced tea. Big iced tea fan? She's a big iced tea Which fan. Which brand? Uh, what's it called? The big... Oh, Arizona? Yeah, Arizona. Uh, Arizona. Um, it's like crack. Yeah, but not the kind. It's like it's the no sugar kind and like the no added. Um, what's it called? I know added honey or whatever. Kind. Uh, ginseng oh, Arizona like Zero. Arizona iced tea without like the Arizona iced tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Arizona Zero. Arizona Zero, <laughs> which also describes the Phoenix Suns organization. Wow. Okay. Nice. All right. I welcome back to the Limited Upside podcast. I'm Ben Epstein, joined by Mike Prada. We're sitting even closer together now than usual in our, our new putting air quotes up studio. Should we hold hands? Yeah, we could if we wanted. I could put my arm around you, for God's sakes. That's how yeah. close we are. But well, maybe you should. Yeah. We'll, we'll wait till the Sixers and Wizards are playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, but I'd be remiss. Uh, Mike, we have a few members of the NBA staff here who have been covering the playoffs night in and night out. Joining us, you want to introduce who we got here and, and tee it off? 
got Whitney Medworth, SB Nation NBA assistant editor and Pacers fan extraordinaire. <laughs> we have Tim Cato, SB Nation staff. What's up? Staff writer, uh, thank you for saying what's up, acknowledging <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, we have Espionation staff writer, uh, big Mavs fan, also has been around Houston a lot. And we have uh, Zito Matter, who, uh, because I've been enjoying his work recently, I'm going to acquiesce and call him the director of vibes as he prefers. Thank you. So, would you be That's remiss to not, to not say, and Lakers fan? Everyone's getting their <laughs> fandom put out there. Only play, only good teams. Oh, okay. Only if yeah, you're a fan of a good we team. We don't need to bring that up. All right. but actually, I did say Mavs fan, so that yeah, and, and Pacers fan. But we, we should start with Whitney because I think look, the first round has been exciting so far. The ratings are way up. There's there's excitement in a lot of new cities, or at least cities that haven't had playoff basketball in a while. Uh, and one of them is is Indianapolis and the Pacers. Um, obviously, first game was on the road. They stole home advantage from Cleveland. And, and Whitney, as you're watching that, and in general. Talk me through your emotions and what you thought, uh, what you're thinking so far about uh, this 1-0 series that we have with uh, the Pacers taking home advantage from Cleveland. Yeah, well, all season I've been like trying to hold back from like screaming from the rooftop that like Victor Oladipo is good and the Pacers are good because like good things don't happen and at any moment I felt like it was going to change. And now I feel like after game one I'm getting dangerously close to like letting those let it out. Off- go and just like yelling from the top of the rooftops that the Pacers are good. It's been like, I mean, what you guys saw Sunday was literally what we've been watching all year. And it's like astonishing to watch every day and every game you're like, is this going to keep going? And it does. So I still have like this big LeBron dark shadow hanging over me and Cavs are probably still going to win the series. But like at some point I'm just going to have to accept that like this is, the Pacers reality now like this is who they are can I ask you can I ask you to comment on that do you in your heart of hearts not because you're on the record here or any or, or you might be writing about it at some point one way or the other but do you actually think the the Cleveland's still going to win this series you're a Pacers fan take off your uh, I'm an objective sports writer do you think the Pacers are going to win be honest with us yeah because as I think I saw a stat yesterday um, of basically teams versus LeBron in the past 15 years or something in the playoffs. And the Pacers have more wins than anybody. Like, the Pacers have beat up on LeBron more than anyone, and they still haven't really come close to beating him. So, no. Okay. I don't think the Pacers can win this series. I think LeBron still will, but, like, it does feel like we have – a chance to at least continue to make some more noise. Mm-hmm. I mean, last year we didn't even the Pacers didn't even win a game. Right. It wasn't that the most uh, the tightest four game sweep ever. Plus, it was a so it was a sixteen point difference between all four games. The Pacers won by eighteen on Sunday. <laughs> and uh, how about playoff V? I enjoyed yeah. how you put it. I thought there was like awesome poetry to Oladipo and George both having massively huge <laughs> games on the same night. It was good for me because I'm the fan who uh, I'm really excited for what the Pacers have, but I still like Paul George. So it was pretty nice to just have them both go off and both be really great on Sunday because I didn't really want to hear the, any more of the um, who's better. But Victor Oladipo's better. <laughs> I, I do want to stop for one sec. Mike, you did a little piece on, on Oladipo. That I thought was quite interesting, man. Can, can you just talk me through like a little bit, if we were to encapsulate what made that performance in game one sort of like a microcosm of what we've seen from this guy all season? It's, it's the same football term, closing speed. Mm. You know, it's he reminds me of um, a really good defensive back. Uh, and I don't watch much football, so I'm not quite sure why no, he reminds right. me right. of a great so defensive back. But... You know, he does these like really short contained bursts of speed and then stops and then bursts of speed and then stops. And it's weird. I, I I said this like snarkily in the piece, but I think like a real gauge for how much you pay attention to the Pacers this year was if you kind of went into that series being like, oh, God, Bo- Boyan Bogdanovich can't guard LeBron. They're they're screwed. Right. And it's like, no, that's kind of the whole point of how they play. Like it's very Golden State like in terms of the best player defender is the one that guards nobody not the one that guards somebody you basically have people that sort of hold the line in the trenches and then this this defensive back this blitzing you know bone crushing hitting you know 
closing speed dude, like the Tyron Matthew of the league. I don't know. He's a no, good you're, so far you're now. He's a good sort of safety. I mean, Earl Thomas right. is Earl Thomas the best safety. These are football? free safeties, but yes, that, they work. You could just use like Ed Reed, right? Because he's the staple for it. He okay. always is. Yes, Ed Reed. Um, <laughs> what Sean Taylor used to be, I remember him was That's he was right. good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're just going to see how many football players <laughs> so far. So Basically. He's only, we've done I like that's a, a, a retired guy, a, a, a deceased fella, fella and uh, what else do we have here? Eric Reed, isn't he the one that nobody will sign because yeah. of because of NFL that's right. is that's backwards? Right. No, it's because he's not good enough. <laughs> yeah, right. Just kidding. Anyway, um, but it's like that style of player where there's someone yeah. else that's sort of doing the dirty work and these guys sort of – and Oladipo plays the role of the one that flies in and makes all the plays. Yeah. I mean the football analogy there is when you have a really good D tackle who keeps a middle linebacker clean that's the analogy but we but regardless uh, we don't need to get into all these other sports i I thought i had my football analogies on point until you had to like go out there and pour cold water as someone who watches all sports but Um, it's fun to watch man i mean yeah so i'm curious for the other two folks here like were you how surprised were you about that game because i mean like whitney said it's kind of what the Pacers have been doing like i didn't think they win by 18 in game one but I thought that would be a tight series just because, you know, I've seen a lot of them and I, I know Cleveland's got some issues. Like, did that really surprise you? Be honest. I I just I just cannot believe that Victor Oladipo is this good. Um, you know, it's just like there, there was – there's not a lot of comparable situations where a player goes for four years while looking like a – like not even a starter, maybe a, like a pseudo starter on a on a bad team. You know, he was fine in Orlando, but at no point did he look like uh, he was going to break out to be anything like he is now. And he's legitimately probably you know top top fifteen player in the league. Um, I, I think I think what he does with the with with the you know when he does back up, like you said, he backs up almost to the uh, half court line and just speeds up there. Um, it is just incredible. Um, he he doesn't take like a necessarily a you know, good shot selection of two pointers. You know, he does have a lot of pull up twos and stuff mixed in there, and he's still hitting uh, 50, uh, 58% on twos this season, which, uh, you know, the regular season, which is just incredible. You know, that that obviously points to the ability that he has to, to get to the rim and stuff like that. But, you know, that pull up jump shooting, you know, we, we saw it to an extent, but, you know, he was, he was actually pretty solid um, in Oklahoma City. And it, I guess it just, it, you know, definitely wasn't used enough or, or used in the proper manner. But, you know that the just like the, the 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 reverence that that Cleveland was giving him when, when he was backing up on those and how you know the entire team basically had eyes on him um, and, and how they legitimately played defense against him differently um, than than you know pretty much any other pacer than you know actually than than any other pacer on the floor you know they had the Oladipo defense and in pick and rolls and then they had a uh, they had other defenses and, and that just I, you know I, I at no point would I have thought that leap was coming. I could see Larry Nance, you know, the what you feel like when you you see like something coming at you and you can't get out of the way. Like you're bracing yourself. You're like going on the back foot and you're just like bracing for impact. That's what Larry Nance looked like guarding Victor Oladipo on switches. He was like, uh. I, I was real, real quick on Oladipo too. Like his body control um, and fluidity around the basket is something that, when he came out of, of Indiana, there was still like rigidity to the way he was around the hoop. If he was, was on the NBA too. Yeah, for sure. I'm saying, but like yeah. that was a big thing. It was like, this guy's got ample athleticism, but how does he mold into an actual, a better scorer and finisher? And he's so fluid around the rim. Now his, his touch with both hands is, is exquisite. And, and that is a jump that he literally made over one year. I mean, I, he gives a lot of credit to, to Westbrook, uh, yeah, which I think is interesting, which is a very fascinating thing. And I'd love to get Whitney's thoughts on that too. Um, but you know, I, I, the way that he finishes with both hands and maximizes his athleticism, he's a really good quick jumper. So he gets on top of bigs before they can meet him with verticality. And like, those are like top notch NBA talent moves that he makes that, that, you know, again, I've already been on the record many times apologizing for my horrible takes on Do the previous again. years Do of again. his career. But uh, I just that's something that's always fascinated me. And then when you throw in that ability to pull up on a dime and really elevate, like, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a pretty total offensive player. Look at before and after pictures of him from last year in OKC to this year. Like, it's shocking how different he looks. In, in what he ways? An extreme I, I, body transformation. Hmm. Like, like yeah, that's that's everybody keeps like, saying that, and I think I think that's the only thing that can really explain this. this you know, not unprecedented, but certainly, you know, there are not many instances of a player just suddenly becoming, you know, going going from the player he was to the player he is now. And I think that 
you know, just truly remarkable, you know, body improvement over an offseason um, is, is the only thing that really changed from last year to, to this year to to kind of explain, you know, so, uh, you know, not everything he's doing in Indiana is different. You know, I think he had a lot of these skills and they were not used properly in Oklahoma City and, you know, going back further in Orlando uh, because it's Orlando and because Oklahoma City had had Westbrook next to him. Um, so so some of it, some of it is situation, but obviously it's not all situation. I think the only thing that can be that can kind of explain that is, is his, uh, you know, his body trans- transformation, which is very, very like visible. That's a real thing, too. And I'm not going to get out of this series quite yet, but. Um, that's something that, you know, we, when we were talking to, uh, Sarah about, about Miami and she wrote about it, you know, Dwayne Wade is in the best physical shape he's been in a long time. And you saw that play out last night in the Sixers game. He's fresh when it comes to the fourth quarter and his legs are under him for his jump shot. There's arc on the ball, et cetera. Real quick though, Zito, what's Cleveland going to do differently in game two that's going to potentially bring this series to maybe that one, uh, one and with the momentum back in Cleveland's side. Not play jeff green as much oh, he was so bad it's like it's like how at the end of the year i was like oh boy jeff green's really been a nice fist starter for them he's been that swing guy they had and then the playoffs comes like ah jeff green that's right so okay so then in jeff green's place go ahead yeah, who plays in jeff green's that's place? that's the question that's the whole point i don't, know. don't have a lot of good players i don't know you could just probably put like a human body or like or a cardboard cutout of a person and then just have LeBron use him as a decoy instead of just having Jeff Green waste your offense. Yeah, I've never seen a cardboard cutout take an ill-advised three. So exactly, it's true. So, it's it's like it's like addition by subtraction, right? <laughs> just <laughs> as long as Jeff Green isn't out there, yeah. it's pretty brutal. I uh, any more tactical? Uh, oh no, that's very tactical analysis, <laughs> I suppose. You know, don't don't down downplay what he said. Um, they miss a lot of open threes. I think. I mean, like. Definitely that that 18 point margin, them scoring 80 points, like credit to Indiana, but I would think that that's not going to repeat itself. So it may not have to necessarily do anything super differently. Um, they got to get Kevin Love back to being. I mean, the whole thing about Cleveland and the reason they always beat East teams is well, one is LeBron, but the other is that nobody in the East can guard Kevin Love normally. Yeah. Because he plays the. They put him at the five and he spreads out your big guy and none of them can do anything. But Indy has like the one front court. You know, Thad Young was like the unsung hero of that game, I thought. Because That's he, the story of his career, man. He locked down Love and Love didn't. Love only took how many shots in that game? Like eight shots? I don't have it in front of me. But don't we always have this conversation like every year and every playoffs with Cleveland? We do, like, yeah. Oh, yeah you, you need to get Kevin Love going. You need to get Kevin mm-hmm. Love going. Mm-hmm. Like this is a repeated thing every single year that we talk about. Yeah, it's right up there but, with yeah, like. This, Le- isn't it? Isn't it the different? No, this year. Though. Exactly. Yeah. That's the difference. Is it like they actually will lose if they don't get Kevin Love going? In the past, yeah. it was like we need to get Kevin Love going because when we play Golden State in the final, he's going to be important. Like it was like and then he never, and then he never and, plays. You know, except for that one year, because he can't. And, yeah, okay. he can't. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, we we spent a, a good I chunk think, of. Go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Tim. I, I oh, I just wanted to make a semi transition, if 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 I may, because I, I think that Cleveland missing threes and the the Rockets missing threes, uh, the, the, a lot of that reminded me of each other, and I think Houston's a better team, and that's why they won, uh, and Cleveland lost. But but both teams, I think, will have some regression to the mean. Yeah, let's let's get into that uh, that that Rockets Timberwolves series. Yeah. Tim, what were your impressions of that? Uh, on the scoreboard, close game one. It was it was surprising in the sense that you know, oh, I, I think that uh, I, I want to say Houston got out to maybe a ten point lead early in the first uh, quarter, maybe mm-hmm. like a 12, 13 point lead, and it seemed like that was just going to be the game. Um, and then it was very strange to see uh, to to see it how it ended up, and then obviously the the ending was as baffling as. Uh, any ending I've seen in, in quite some time. But uh, I also just saw a Houston team that played by its standards and, and shot three of 25 outside of James Harden. And, you know, Houston is not the best three-point shooting team in the league. In fact, they don't want to be. I had an assistant coach telling me where, you know, if they're at the top of the league and in, in three-point shooting, you know, that means they're not taking enough of them. Um, oh, but, interesting. But, you know, okay. when you take 25 threes every once in a while, yeah, yeah, every once in a while it will backfire against you. And I think it backfired and that they're still a good enough team and they have James Harden, so they won anyway. Um, I, they're not going to shoot 3 of 25 on, on you know, non-Harden three-point shooters the rest of the series. So I, I don't think anybody in Houston should be concerned at all about what happened in Game 1. 
So we think it's basically that's it. There's nothing that Minnesota necessarily did that would scare you if maybe not for this series, but for down the road potentially. I mean, I thought it it was interesting how Harden's, how nobody else could do anything other than Harden. I mean, Harden basically willed them to the, to the win. I mean, Capella had a great game, but that's all Harden. You know? Seems like an MVP performance. (laughs) (laughs) It's like he's the best player in the NBA this year. Yeah, it's, Mm. it's, it's, yes. Chris Paul was, unbelievably bad but i i just i didn't think that it was anything minnesota did i just thought he was unbelievably bad i mean it's like look at that last turner he turnover he had to set up the uh the awful jimmy butler attempted game yeah that was weird game time <laughs> he, he just he, it says anxiety right like being in the playoffs he just regresses <laughs> to this like he doesn't though he's very good he's yeah. he has a couple and of he very makes those mistakes notable, he has made the few of those mistakes in weird moments. But he also yeah. has a game winner in game seven against the San Antonio Spurs when the Spurs were supposed to win the finals in, I think, uh, 2015. The Spurs weren't yeah, supposed that's... to win the finals that year, but I take your point. <laughs> well, all right, that was the first thing. year of Golden State. But yes, no, no, you're, Wait, you're right. Some people, the... No, no, no. Some people were saying they were going to win the finals over Golden State. There was a lot of Golden what? State disbelief that season. It's just bizarre, like, with the mistakes, it's just so bizarre that he always, like, not always, but, like, he has such a, a stash of those mistakes or those, like, last-minute bumbling whatever, where it's like, oh, Chris Paul is amazing. I know Chris Paul is amazing. Why did he just turn that ball over when the game is, like, when the game is on the line? Or how did he just forget how to pass the ball all of a sudden? There's an Oklahoma series a couple of years ago that was very much. Wendy, does Minnesota bum you out as much as it bums me out? They bum me out? (laughs) No, because I never cared about them to start with. (laughs) (laughs) I I just don't have a lot of faith in them. I've never been like a Thibodeau bold person, and then they signed Derrick Rose. I feel bad for Cat. I'm a big Cat fan. I feel bad for him, but... Yeah. Whitney, could you please tell him that if he has a defender, a point guard defending him, that he doesn't need to pass the ball away? I have no idea what that kid was doing. Like, if you are like 700 feet tall, and yeah. you're being defended by like a really short person, and you're just giving the ball away. That's because Derrick Rose was shooting the ball every time he touched it. <laughs> I, I'm trying to yeah. I'm trying to imagine what my reaction would be if I was Carl Anthony Towns and I had this switch and I like ran to the block for a second and I saw Jeff Teague or Derrick Rose or Jamal Crawford for the 700th time in a row do the old wave out of the way thing. Like, yeah. I might like literally like tackle um, those guys and just take the ball myself if that's See, what it that's came to. That's a problem. He won't do that. He'll just like. Just move out the way for them. He's too nice. Yeah, he needs to choke Derrick Rose in the huddle. Just grab him and just choke him out. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first hot choking like in Minnesota. Like but... to TJ uh, McConnell? <laughs> that was out of love, number one. Yeah. Well, oh, this yeah, is out of love, too. I, lo- I love to yeah. do something that will make us all better. Well, just the irony I, I, that like, Derrick Rose is playing significant minutes for any team right now, let alone a Tibbs team, let alone a team where he shouldn't have the ball at all in his hands, is, like, well, that's bad coaching. Would he play significant I, minutes for any team that wasn't a Tibbs team? No, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's, the irony here is, like, this is the only spot in the world, or in the professional mm-hmm. NBA world, where he could be playing. And he's not just playing, he was the top usage rate on the team in the face of, like, multiple NBA all-stars on their team. It just, it, it defies logic. the explanation to game on is that, uh, is that Derrick Rose Monstard Chris Paul's powers, and I think I think that just explains everything. But but also I, I will say that Houston's defense, you know, like it was they knew they knew what they were doing to an extent. You know, they they knew that uh, they were going to give Derrick Rose as many chances to take the shots that he wanted to take. And I think over the course of the series, that's going to work out for them. Um, you know, if he keeps taking these shots, um, you know, and I, I would say that Towns is also in some instances not you know not comfortable. Uh, against these, like, like when he gets the ball in, in a good match matchup for him, you know, when he has positioning, you know, he's very good. Um, but he, he often struggles to get there. Um, doesn't seem comfortable kind of, you know, bodying with people down low. Um, and I, you know, many, many young bigs have this, but I, I don't know if he's perfected the, the passing out of the post yet. Um, Are you calling yeah, but, him soft? Is that what you're doing? I, 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 I don't think I'm calling him soft. No, I mean, it was his first soft. playoff game. Mm. Soft is a is a really dumb term, you know, in my opinion. It just means that he's not good at at using his size. <laughs> so, uh, tactically, what what kills me is that 
Tim, you follow the Mavs for a long time. You know that eventually when Avery sure. Johnson's got there, he when they would switch someone onto Dirk, he'd just go into like the free throw line and then he could see everything and just shoot over everyone. Right? That was yeah. sort of their antidote. Carl Anthony Towns should eat at the free throw line, the pinch post. Like that the, whenever there's a switch, like that's the first place they should go. Instead, he would just like sort of mosey over the block and they'd try to swing the ball and it would just be so easy to deny him. And then after – that is if they even got to the point where they did all that, like if it wasn't just the guard waving him off. Like wouldn't it make so much more sense if they just posted him at the free throw line against the switch? It that, bugs the crap out of me. Uh, I will say Dirk didn't learn how to do that until he was 26, 27, 28. I want to say it was the uh, – it was, it was probably really the uh, the 2007 season. The, the You know, they obviously lost infamously to Golden State. But that season is when he – his, his – ability to beat smaller guys and pass out of doubles and stuff like that, you know, really reached its its peak. Um, and, and he kind of rode that the rest of his career. Um, but yeah, just run pick and rolls with him too. Like anything like, yeah, use those mismatches, run pick, like just get him shots. He was not used enough in, in any manner. Yeah, he wasn't. Is, is it kind of akin to like what Weber was for Sacramento back in the day? Well, it's funny you said it because Weber was complaining like crazy on the broadcast yeah. about this. Too, I could sense his like personal frustration. Right, 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 right. Um, Chris Weber does tend to com- complain a lot on the broadcast, but, but yes, um, <laughs> he does. I'm just saying. It. Um, yeah, but anyhow, and um, yeah, there was only three point game. Yeah, I mean, it's it just like the, that was like the weirdest game. I have a lot of trouble making sense of that game. Well, it feels like that's the series that that if anybody picked a sweep in any first round series, that that was the one, and yet that was one of the closest game ones, aside from you know Boston and, and Milwaukee. Who went into overtime and, uh, and I Portland. don't want to watch that any more games from that series. Oh, it's Port- awful. And the Portland Pelicans game, <laughs> um, which was great. Yeah, I mean, so we didn't want to talk too much about the the games uh, or the series that are going to be played tonight, uh, as we'd love for this content to live a little bit longer. But I do want to touch real briefly on Mike's last comment, as I know that Celtics fans are pretty passionate about their team, and they tell you that game was exactly how they wanted it to go. Well, yeah, it was of a beautiful Celtics game. It's beautiful for the Celtics. I made a mistake. I have to be honest. I watched it on the Comcast New England feed, and Tommy Heinsohn, and I, this is just who he is. But um, oh, actually, it was on another level for okay. this game. Do you? I find him amusing. Do you guys like Tommy Heinsohn in small doses? Uh, I didn't ask you. Ask them. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I Boston for a while, and it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Zito, I'm assuming you love him. No. <laughs> okay, I only like the Patriots out of Boston. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> I Patriots don't like Lakers anything fan. else about Boston. I don't even like like going to Boston. <laughs> How did you become a Patriots fan? Uh, well, well, they're I really moved, good. No, no, good. I moved teams. to the United States 1998 and mm. didn't really start watching TV until like 2000, 2001. So you right, followed the good team. I still I became like a Lakers fan as well, just because like national games. That's fair. The team that's like popular when you're like I'm a kid who came from Nigeria, small village. Right. So like the most popular thing was like what I was gravitating mm. towards. Okay, that's Fair pretty enough. valid. Um, okay, now I know. Now you're trying to make me feel bad for making fun of you for being a good team. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, this is uh, this is an immigrant story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's funny because like. The, the thing that, I, that that caught my eye was when, when Giannis did foul out, and Heinsohn was like, about time, 85th foul of the game. And it's like, <laughs> a right, little bit of hyper, uh, hyperbole there. It's a shtick. It's, it's a fu- shtick. It's but funny. No, but what I like about it, though, is that he yells it. Like, he's like that old guy who doesn't can't really hear his inner ear, so he just he's like screaming. Doesn't that make it more shticky, though? That's why I like it. Like, if he yeah. was seriously, like, the problem is... He's serious, though. It's just no, I know, but, yeah. but it's like... The problem is more like the Rockets commentators where it's like they're very – the Spurs Mur- or like Clyde Drexler or whatever or like the Spurs where it's like they they couch it in like what seems like rational analysis right, or right, right. they're legitimately upset. Like Tommy kind of makes a game out of it. Oh, he's the old guy shaking him. his fist at the cloud, you know. <laughs> um, so, OK. Well, I don't want to talk too much about that series. We'll get to that in a – <laughs> Mike. I'm sorry. I'm so, I, the, the Bucks make me really mad. The Bucks <laughs> kind of like the Timberwolves do. It's like they go 46 minutes without playing the one lineup that Boston cannot stop, and then they go to the, the end of the game. And what do you know? They score every time. Wow! Well, I'm is stunned. That the Bucks or the coach that makes you mad? Then 
the coach. But I mean, this was the yeah. case with kid too. It doesn't matter who the coach is. Yeah, I guess it's the same stuff. Anyway, I don't yeah. want to talk okay. about well, it. Well, let's let's, let's, let's go to another thing because Mike, you and I had talked about in a previous podcast if the top three seeds in the East and West could pick their opponents, who they would be. And I said that I thought Golden State should pick San Antonio. Um, and it was not like you were like, no, that's the worst thing in the world. But I think you had a different selection for them at well, the time. I, I eventually had the same one, but it took me a second to understand. So, so tell me, tell saying. me why this why this series right now is kind of playing out like, yeah, Golden State would have preferred just I mean, to have Z- this matchup. Zito pretty much said in his piece today, like Spurs are. I'm going to have a hot take here. I'm curious what other people think of this. <laughs> Zito, I, think this, to this. I think the Spurs are the worst team in the playoffs this year. I, I don't, what do you guys think? What do you think? Yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, when your when your creativity has to come from like a forty year old balding man, that's that's <laughs> that not good. When, that like, was that last part. Tony Parker <laughs> barely even gets minutes now, right? Like you're starting to want Dejounte Murray and like. Manu Ginobili has to be your creative hub. Like, I love Manu, and he's amazing, but he's 40, and you can't expect him to just, like, replicate that every time. Yeah. So, he really is 40, too. It's pretty dire for them. I mean, he's the only player in the team that can run spread pick and roll. I think it's really telling who they give the ball to. Each team gives the ball to at the end of these quarters Mm -hmm. uh, because that's sort of the one possession where it's like, we need our guard to sort of give right, us a right. bail us out and make a play because you want a whole clock. All these other teams have these really good players and superstars that can give the ball to, and the Spurs just give it to Manu Ginobili, who's 40 years old. They do. To me, that's like the most telling thing. Um, does everybody else agree that the Spurs – anyone else – anyone strongly disagree that the Spurs are the worst team in the playoffs? Uh Tim, I think that, I think in a series they could still beat Minnesota, but I don't know if that makes them a better team than Minnesota. If that makes any sense. Feels strong. Feels strong, but I mean, they don't look great. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I would probably. I, they, you're right. They would beat a lot of these teams because a lot right. of these these teams that are worse are stupid. Right. Right. But, like the Bucks. Like the Bucks and the Wizards, <laughs> but they would. I think they are the by far the least talented team in the playoffs. Well, that may be talented and being the worst team are, are different for sure. Um, they they definitely they're are the worst great. against good teams. I mean, they they were one of the least. They were probably, I mean, at least Denver is more. Actually, let me start that question up. Mike, would you have preferred to see Denver playing uh, in these playoffs yeah. instead of the Spurs? <laughs> yes. Yeah. People got mad at me when I said that, but come on. <laughs> um, we haven't talked at all about the Kawhi situation yet. Um, do you guys think that Greg Popovich was subtweeting Kawhi Leonard when he was effusively praising Lamarcus Aldridge? He had to have been. <laughs> yeah. I think he's, so too. He's too smart to know to to not know that would have been taken the way it did. I think. Yeah. Um, who like who saw this coming though, right? Like, who would have thought a couple of years ago that we would be in a place where Popovich is subtweeting Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, of all the of all the things that happened in this uh, TV show that is the NBA this season, this is like the best twist or the most surprising twist, I would say. Like Kawhi is the villain now. It's odd that Kawhi's not with the team, right? Like, it's fine that he wants to sit out and rehab. Isn't it kind of weird that he's not with the team at all? I think that's weird, yeah. I agree. I think that's very strange. Um, I think not to make, like, a big deal of it and, like, you know, overblow it, but, like, it is weird. But he has to have special New York rehab. He can only rehab in New York. That's actually why his rehab's taking so long. (laughs) Well, the thing is, like, when usually when players do something weird like that, you just think, like, they're going somewhere to party and like they're just being dumb. But I can't even imagine what Kawhi Leonard is doing in New York by himself away from the team. <laughs> <laughs> like, didn't he say he used like uh, coupons at Wingstop and stuff? So like he's at <laughs> he's at some fast food restaurant in Times Square. Do they have Wingstop <laughs> in New York? I like don't he think just so. happened the most boring time in New York <laughs> when he could be with his team. He's, he definitely loves the Olive Garden. Uh, on Times Square. <laughs> That's his favorite restaurant. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine now, like, it's the night of the Spurs game, and instead of watching it, Kawhi is, like, out late at a wing stop. Yeah, like, if, if if you tell me, like, some other player wasn't with the team, I'm imagining, like, they're out partying and drinking and, like, doing shit that will pop up in social media, like, a couple of days later. 
I like Kawhi Leonard is probably just at home in his hotel, just like with a bunch of food, watching some stupid boring movie. Is it like? Do you remember when LeBron was would always tweet about like the NBA Classic game every time the Warriors were doing something good? Was yeah. that last year? Or was that two years ago? I think that was two years ago. That was two, that's, it's like that. Like he's actually watching like that. When Derek Rose, when this the, the best analog, of this is Derek Rose, right? Where it's sort of he's cleared, but he doesn't feel right. Like he was with the team then, right? Even though they yeah. were, I, I I can't remember. Yeah, he was always at the games. Like I don't I don't think Kawhi is there's anything wrong with him not trying to play when he doesn't feel well because the athlete always knows his body more than like. Even when the doctor clears you, if something is wrong, you know when something is wrong or when you don't feel right. So that's fine. It's just the the part that Whitney mentioned is like, you cannot play and still be here supporting your teammates. Like, this is still your team. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing, too, is if he had just said, like, guys, I'm I'm done. I'm not doing – I'm shut I'm, – I can't come back. Like, I just don't feel great about it. Like, and he does that in March, and he's just upfront about those intentions – I think a lot of this would be different too because part of the problem is that there was this on again. There's no official – it's been reported that he's done for the playoffs, but there was never any sort of official like, okay, we know we're not – we know Kawhi's not going to be there because Kawhi said so. It's been such a limbo situation as well. And it's just – I'm I'll say this. I'm a little surprised that Popovich is subtweeting instead of is using subtext if he is rather – and I think he is because you also have all this stuff with uh, – that's up to Kawhi and his team. Is that what he is that the phrase yeah, he is? Yeah, he said you have to ask Kawhi and his group. group his group. group. That's right. His group. Um why doesn't Pop is not exactly the type of person that's would hold back like like he's not a subtexter, he's a texter. Like he you would think that he'd just be honest about it. I'm a little surprised he's not just like, you know what, really disappointed that Kawhi's not here. Maybe he's gonna I get there. I think there's just like a lack of communication between the two. Between both parties, right? Like, it's just it's just at the point now where I don't even think the two groups are talking to each other. So now there's just, like, some bitterness. It's bizarre. Bizarre situation. Anyway, the Spurs are sad other than that. I yeah, just, because there's... I don't want to see Danny Green miss another shot. I would just like the series to be over. Warriors got real lucky, I think, with this draw, like you said. Yeah. Real lucky. Yeah. But at the same time... I think the Warriors are going to win their round one matchup. I think this is just a, another example of kind of they were going to pass whatever tests they were going to face. It just so happens to be one now that has a lot more controversy around it because of the internal situation, which is unique to the Spurs. I think we expect to have squabbles or at least communication issues between upper management and star players for most teams, not the Spurs. So for an organization to be so squeaky clean especially with how they've handled their players, you know, retained their talent. There's a reason we're still talking about Manu playing for the Spurs right now and mm-hmm. not, you know, a one-year contract with another upstart team, which I know he had, he had thought about in the offseason. Um, yep. You know, but the idea is that, like, part of the uniqueness here is that Pop has not gone through this. This guy has been an incredible coach for decades now in the league, and one thing he has not really had to deal with is, is that, that course correction with a star player, that, that adversity when it comes mm-hmm. to the off-the-court issues with a star. And, I'm not necessarily sure he's handling it that well. Well, that's the other thing. And I'm not sure this helps either. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. I mean, that's also why I wonder, like, why is he using subtext? And, like, right. That, the, the other thing this makes me wonder is, like, is this something that is new for the Spurs? Or is this just something we are finally hearing about and the Spurs, like all other organizations, have been able to keep a lot of this stuff in-house? Or is it just that, you know, Pop had Tim Duncan and Tim Duncan's the most low-maintenance dude? Don't ever forget that Tony Parker got hit with a bottle in the club when Chris Brown and Drake were beefing. I just want to put right. that out there. We forget <laughs> about this. <laughs> we don't talk about, about this about enough. This. Speak for yourself, Cito. I, I have never forgotten about that once. Mm. Yeah, don't forget moment. the incident with the referee and the guns. <laughs> we oh, never forget. Okay, that that, that was... Wait, what's the, what was that one again? What? It was a Halloween costume. Oh, oh. Okay. Oh, I do remember Just, this. Yes, when you yes. casually say "never forget the." Wait, with wasn't it? Wasn't there a whole thing with the, with with one of their players like wearing uh was it wasn't Nazi stuff, but wasn't there something like that? Like they they use like some sort of Nazi slur or racist. I, I 
I might be pulling this out of my ass, and if so, I'm sorry, San Antonio. But I vaguely remember there being something like this going on with them, like a few years back. Well, All I know is that Tony Parker got hit in the face with a bottle, and then his ex-wife, his now ex-wife, told everybody that he didn't know how to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> like, like. <laughs> okay. Yeah, she she wrote that had to teach him. How to have sex. You kept like trying to put it in my elbow. All right. All right. I, I All think right. we need to direct this away from this guy. <laughs> Actually, can we talk? I don't know. We could just, like, talk about Eva Longoria's, like, filmography just like her career like if, if we're spiraling all the way over there i think we have some eva longoria hot takes what do we like has she peaked as an actress or uh, so guys uh the heat sixer series one one uh ben simmons uh interesting interesting stuff ben you want to get off your rant about the referees no i mean i'm, I'm not going to blame the refs um i i think that the best analogy to use another football analogy is um Last night's game was like one big pass interference call in the NFL where the greatest, you know, uh, um, uh, let's try it, the best secondary in recent memory for the Seahawks. A lot of what they were able to get away with is that they would start each game at the most grabbing and, and the most holding and the most physicality they could put forth and work backwards from what the referees would allow, which is a really smart way to play football and it's a smart way to play a series against someone like ben simmons where you know you've got to be super physical with him you know that at his fastest in the open court he's almost impossible to really play against and when he's making quick decisions while he's going fast he's even better so i have a question real quick real quick no no it's related to what you're saying so all that is true yeah why didn't anybody do it before well, so that's so we talked about this. Like, I, think, I think some teams have. Like, I think Indiana did do this to the Sixers this year. I think that Miami did do this to the Sixers. Did they? This year. I don't know. I, I, I I'm curious. Like, it, this the is Celtics like one of the, done this to the Sixers. This is like one of the the things where I feel like I'm crazy. Like, why? Uh, well, so just with the way he's dominant. I mean, does does this ring a bell to anyone else? Like this, I, I would think that it would be obvious that you would want to pressure him. But I guess everyone's so fixated on the I can't shoot thing. Well, so yeah, that's that's definitely part of it. And and look, Miami, um, when you get blown out in a game one, there are more noticeable things you can change. That's sort of the nice part about a non-competitive game, especially within a series where you know you're playing the same team as mm-hmm. a day in between. Um, there's also the mental aspect of coming into a game having won by 27 and coming into a game having lost by 27. And like these things matter from a professionalism standpoint and also from an experience standpoint where this is a more experienced playoff tested team. That's number one in Miami, that is. Number two, and this is something we talked about, there was going to be a Dwayne Wade game. Wade was exceptional last mm-hmm. night. I mean, he was straight up vintage Dwayne Wade. Now, not as much about going to the basket or playing bully ball from the post as a large guard, but he was, I mean, he was dead on from mid-range last night, and he hit yeah. some really difficult shots. He he hit a few, uh, you know, I mean, they're walks, but still a nice move. <laughs> You should get on Twitter and make a very slow motion video. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And I'm fine with that. Let That's a move in the NBA. Oh, this, is, this is hilarious. No, no, no. I just love I love your posture. It's like, yeah, one, uh, the refs are going to call foul, or they're not going to call fouls, but it's fine. That's how it should be. Dwayne no, Wade is going to but it's fine. This is going <laughs> the biggest, baddest guy in this series hasn't played yet. And if the refs are going to allow for this to be a physical series, I like the Sixers to be bringing back the most imposing physical person in the series, which, by the way, will mitigate the thing that has worked best for Miami in this entire series, which is Dwayne Wade was great yesterday, but it start and stops with Kelly Olynyk providing them with a much different look and feel as a team. He's their playmaker. Now, they went to Kelly Olynyk to make the primary passing decision. I think it was in like eight of 12 plays in a row in the fourth quarter, which is important to note because Kelly Olynyk's probably their best perimeter decision maker when they, you know, when Dragic is running off ball and when Wade is running off ball, you have a guy like Olynyk who could shoot a little bit, which spaces people out, but we're not making, we're, sorry, the Sixers haven't had to make Kelly Olynyk play defense yet, which is a weakness of his in the post. And Embiid's going to make Kelly Olynyk play both parts of the court and I think when you get into a physical series where we can then the Sixers can then add in um, the most physically dominant aspect of the series I think it actually pretends pretty well for them and it'll take some pressure off of Ben Simmons who really has been for a month and a half now carrying an incredible load for a rookie and there's no quotes up in the air Um, and so I think we we somehow (laughs) have forgotten a little bit of what made this team special we forgot about the fact that when a guy like uh, James Johnson is going to the rim uh, with with no not a care in the world and when a guy like 
Goran Dragic can just do little circles around the rim with not a care in the world, that there will be a very imposing top three defensive big in the NBA who will likely be back. And so I think there's like great takeaways, all the credit in the world to Spolster for his game plan, for forcing the Sixers into an ugly game, playing Heat basketball, and then getting a great performance out of Wade. Um, so all the credit in the world to, to the Heat for winning game two. I thought they were going to win game two, as I told Mike yesterday when we left the office. I can attest to um, that he said he thought. It, but, but on the same <laughs> hand, like the series is far from over. We thought it was going to be a tight, tough, physical series, and I think it's just going to move further in that direction. All right, well, that covers it. Does anyone else have anything to add to Ben's very long analysis of the Sixers Heat series? Yeah, I mean, Miami was going to win. Yeah? For real? You, uh, you, you're just saying that to troll or you really believe it? Uh, both. So yeah. what, what, uh, what, why do you think they're going to win? I, I will, I will, I will actually say that I'm like, there aren't many teams who have James Johnson, Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow to, to throw at this, you know, just the, 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 the number of, you know, Philly's so big that this is one of the few teams that has enough guards that are tall enough and big enough to, to kind of, you know, match those people each time down the, down the floor. So, um. I don't know. You know, obviously, if Embiid comes back, that that does change everything, and and Philly probably has enough talent to uh, to to beat this. But uh, I'm impressed by Miami. Like for for a team that has no quote unquote star, you know, they are as good as you can make a <laughs> yeah, team I, like that. I can hear, I can see Ben Sulting when he's no, no, impressed no, I, by I Miami. I do with everything Tim said. I think like part <laughs> of it is like they had a superstar yesterday. He scored 28 points. He's one of the five greatest shooting guards in the history of this game and he played like it yesterday now granted you cannot expect Wayne Wade to be that superstar every game but I think sometimes we just need to call it like we see it which was an incredible hall of famer had a hall of fame performance um and and did so yesterday um, when they needed it and like that is truly the mark of a great player and like I'm not someone who's been over here like I'm I'm the same person who would also tell you that like half the time when Dwayne Wade takes bad long mid-range shots that pretends well for the opposition because he still thinks he can hit those but the games when he he's can. hitting them he can Yeah, he can. I mean when when he's hitting them and he's in rhythm like it's it's not like they didn't have a superstar last night like they they had true. the best player on the court last night. Um Winnie or Zito, if you were a Sixers fan, would you be mad at Goran Dragic for shooting a layup at the end of the game? No, I'm so tired of this. Why do we get so worked up about the smallest dumb things? <laughs> uh, because we need something to be mad at, right? Like, what else is, like, being... We are so mad all the time. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> being a sports fan or even being an athlete is getting mad at the most, like, mundane if, thing, right? So, if the Sixers want to get mad at it, like, the actual players, go ahead. I don't care. But, like, me, I... I'm not going to get mad about it. How much time was left? Like, like 11 seconds or something like well, that? It, it was what, a press break, right? It, I actually yeah. turned the game off by this point. I just It is a playoff game, and, like, strange things have happened. Like, you know, don't lose to the Miami Heat at home in game <laughs> two, and then you won't have to worry about it. It's just, I don't know. It's like, wait, I'm... I, a lot of sports fans, right? Like, it's just something that they do. It's like the little disrespect things don't even affect the players as much as it does the fans who who are just like so invested in it and their pride is on the line, whatever. Like when I see Sixers fans all of a sudden went from like the most lovable fan base to just we're gonna find everybody whoever doubted the Sixers, whoever yeah. doubted that Joel and B was gonna play all <laughs> these games, and we're gonna call them out because they should have seen right into the future. Like, that was retweet Armageddon last year. It was incredible. Yeah, it's like, do you guys know how ridiculous you look? Of course, of like, course. When they get mad about things like this, it's like it's kind of ridiculous in the whole nature of this. No, like, this, this is, is the, the beauty of this whole thing. This beauty of this whole thing. There's a. a there's a great Simpsons episode, and I know this is going to lose 90... It depends on how old you are. I was going to say, like, I, hope, I would hope a lot of right. our listeners so, watch The Simpsons. So the episode great where show. Lisa grows life out of her tooth where she puts Coca-Cola on it and creates a little rapidly the evolving world. world. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Okay, She's their god. Exactly, and Bart's the enemy, etc. Okay, right. That, that right there is how I picture this Sixers team. Like, they were lovable. They've gone through the most rapid incredibly quick evolution from like this like neanderthal uh um you know little world to like they're ten thousand years into the future overnight because the idea that like they went from lovable to hate a, before they've played 
even a full playoff series is like it's first off music to my ears i love it because i think it just speaks to like the number one how savage the entire sixers twitter world is they definitely deserve the hate and love from both sides that they get they're it's wild how insane they are um and the second part is like They've really taken on, and this speaks to why, you know, Herbert wrote the piece of, on the rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, but, like, they they are obnoxious. Like, I'll I mean, be the first one to admit, like, Mike, Mike over here <laughs> like, can both appreciates well, them and also roots against them openly, and, like, I get that. Like, a lot of it is because how religious the whole the process mm-hmm. thing is. Absolutely. Right? Because when, Tom's, when Zilla wrote the article that... The process worked, but so did all these other rebuilding efforts, right? Like the Portland Trailblazers, they were in a similar situation with the Sixers when the Sixers started the process. And other teams like that, and Mm -hmm. now they're playoff contenders. They've been playoff contenders. So it's like, yeah, the process worked, but like that's not the only way you rebuild something. The only difference is like the process has like a religious fervor to it, right? Totally. You believe in Sam Hinkie. You have all of this, like... It's the it's the identity of the team. I mean, they literally and say Hinky died for this. Like, it, it, yeah, so it's, it's, that's actually wow. That's identity. actually really creepy. <laughs> they they literally defend it as if it's like part of their identity, right? Like totally, everybody totally. who didn't believe in this must be publicly shamed. Yeah, yeah and right. anybody who speaks against it or doubts us must be publicly shamed. It's it's, it's ridiculous. No, it's I, like I, you I can't agree. practice yeah, another religion. Them. Like you you have to be a processor. It's like. It's like uh, those holy wars in the Middle Ages. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. we have to proselytize these people and make them processors. Mm -hmm. That's uh, wow. And if you score a layup at 11 seconds, you are an enemy of the people. (laughs) Yeah, but that's just like, you know, but that's a good point. But that ultimately is just, that happens all the time. It doesn't just happen. That happens across the NBA. It happened to the Sixers this year. uh, When? Who was it? Dario dunked on some. Oh, yeah, that's right. Like, this is just one of those. Oh, that makes it even richer that this is a whole thing. Yeah, I kind of want like if the Heat win another one, I want like Dragic to do it again. Totally, I'm fine with it. Like the thing about that is when a regular season game, when you do that shit and you don't see a team for two months, it's cheap. But when you do it in a series, you're doing it for a reason. You're saying like, I can't wait for Game Three. Here's a little bit of something to think about. Do you think that Gore Dragic was thinking that as yes. he like raced I don't in? Dragic is that type of like Dragic just doesn't oh, have fuck that. Dragic Dragic is a killer, man. He's he's he used to bring his little brother to his teams. Yo, <laughs> that's fine. But I'm telling you, sleeping on Dragic's killer edge. Like when he got taken I, out, he last has night, an he edge. I'm furious. just like it, this whole idea. You mentioned it with like Bogdanovich and like this idea that like Europeans can't be killers is it kills me because no, like. No, I, 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 like I don't think is that his Dragic can't be a killer. I just don't think like Dragic had any like animosity towards the Sixers that he just wanted to put it in their face. I'm not saying animosity, but I'm saying thoughtful. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying that's I, premeditated. I he goes I down the know. court. He know, dude's been in the league for a decade. He I knows know, like, but if Wade he did it, I would think so because it, like the way he was like going back and forth with Kevin Hart. Yeah, yeah, know, I guess like, that's yeah, true. He's trying to rub it in. Right, right, right. But Dragic was like ah, free lane to the free lane to the hoop. You take he two. Just took it. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe he just maybe had like a, a bonus for playoff points, and he just wanted to now, get. If he windmilled it, right? <laughs> yeah. if he did under the leg, toss it off the backboard, and then, then I'm like, all right. all right. This reminds me of the time that uh, was it? How many years ago was this? When Karam, when there was a Toronto Clippers, and the Toronto had blown the Clippers out, and Karam Butler was going to shake. You know, it was Valanciunas' hand, and instead of shaking his hand, he stole, stole the ball, ball and went to the left. Do you guys remember that? Of course. <laughs> That's yeah. perfect. Though. That was great. <laughs> Can't uh, do that. Yep. Uh, if if you can I say real quick, I'm like I in general, I hate unwritten rules in any sport. So I'll just say that like I'm ultimately I'm fine with Dragic doing that. And there's game three in two days. You know. See, I've actually argued against that before, which is weird for me because I usually <laughs> hate unwritten rules. But like, there's certain unwritten rules that I like. Like soccer has a bunch of unwritten rules that, like, sure. I think are very compassionate things. Like yep. if it, if an opponent is injured, yep. but it's not a head injury, which will force the referee to stop it. Players still kick the ball out because it's like, yeah, you're injured. It's better. Like it's better if this is eleven on eleven. Right, right, right. It's just like a very, it's unwritten. You don't have to do it, but they do it all the time. Sure, sure. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's probably one of the unwritten rules I do like. And, and as soon as you brought that up, I was like, yeah, soccer has – they have it right. Well, what's the difference between that rule and – is it just that – I mean, in, a, in, in both cases, it's like kicking 
someone while they're down, pun, pun not intended. Right. You know, it's one maybe kicking someone down while they're injured, but the other is also kicking someone down when they're about to right. lose. Like, it's right. still the well, same spirit, because, right? Uh, well, I wrote about that, but, like, I think the difference is when you're, like, if you're if you're playing a soccer game and you're up 7-0 or 6-0, let's go back to the World Cup 2014, mm-hmm. there's nothing stopping the team from scoring another one on you, like, when Germany was beating Brazil, they just kept scoring until Brazil just or until time ran out. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's like different where if you're down hurt, it's just a very human thing. But mm-hmm. when you're just beating them skillfully, it's like you you should just be better at this game. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a it's an expectation. If if you're injured, yeah. you would want someone to do that for you. The difference is the end of a basketball game. You you're not thinking about again. scoring on a team. It's yeah, but it's like the idea is like you're thinking like, well, we wouldn't do that, so they therefore they shouldn't. As opposed mm. to soccer, it's like we would, therefore they should. Right. So you're saying I'm people a Patriots fan, so I'm used to my team blowing people out. <laughs> like this is something I deal with every year. So oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> what happened? What happened? Forget it. We don't think it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> do we do we think that Joel Embiid's Instagram after the game is like anything to worry about? No. No, I think he just has a lot of emotions. Yeah, agreed with. I agree. Well, you, you yeah. said Brett Brown handled that one really well. Ben. He did. He, yeah. They asked like it happened before like Brett's post game conference, so they asked him about it, and he was like, "Look, it's fine. He wants to play, and we didn't let him." And I get why he's mad. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, uh, it was actually a friend of the pod, uh, Kyle Kyle Newbeck, asked him the question, and and Brett Brown looked like you know. It's what he expected. Like I think Brett Brown would have been. I think he he said it. Like he'd be upset almost to not have Joel have that competitive streak go him go through him that he wants to be a part of it. And um, you know, I think the term he said he used the term. And I'll do my best, Brett yeah, Brown. Do I, mean, like, I want to get some feedback on this. Cause, uh, uh, he said yeah. he goes. Uh, <clears throat> you know the 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 flavor that Joel brings. You know is a competitiveness. It's not. It's not as much that he's angry or upset. It's that, you know, there's a competitive flavor that goes through Joel. And that's what he said. That, that was like, that's the thing. It's like, wait, was that your Brett Brown? Yeah, I was going to say, can, can you guys rate yeah. the Brett Brown yeah. impression? <laughs> What'd you think? What'd you think? You, you hear Whitney laughing? That's it's good. Like, it's just, it's no, 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 don't influence them. Because it's so good, right? How, how many out of 10? It was pretty good. Yes. That's all I looked for. That's like all seven? I mean. Fine. Yeah. Well, all right. We're we're we're, derailing, we're derailing the the point here, which is like uh, no, no, no. no that, we're only derailing the point yeah, if I'm if we're judging you. I see. Joel played. You know, Joel's face is getting much better, and his wingspan is still impeccable. Um, but that's that's my Brett Brown impression. Um, does sorry, uh, does anyone chat. else have uh, anything else they want to talk about with the playoffs? Anything yeah. else that interests them that uh, we have not hit yet? Um, what is like your favorite story of the playoffs uh, outside of the things we've talked about? Oh yeah, we can't talk about those games, but like well, the Drew Holiday, yeah. the Drew Holiday block towards the end, mm. amazing. Yeah, it was I great. loved it. Drew is and he, great. He had to stop on the fast break where I think it was CJ who was trying to pass the ball, and he just like stuffed him on the pass, the fast break right next mm-hmm. to the. He had three plays at the end of the game too because yeah, he also had the Lillard. Like, this is like this is everything Anthony Davis did was amazing, and like he's you know one the biggest reason why they won. But Drew coming up like back to back to back with defensive stops like that, I was like Jesus Christ, this guy, he really came to play this time, and I, I really enjoyed it. I love a good left-handed block too, because you go mm-hmm. up, you go up thinking I'm gonna hit with my right, and then you're athletic enough to hang and use your wingspan to get to the left. It just looks so good too. Speaking of it poetic, it did look like. Uh, Lillard, Lillard was gonna help Portland win that game, though. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he started getting hot, and was, and then Anthony Davis was super tired, and it's like, yeah, this is like Portland's played bad, but they're gonna get through this the same way that they get through like so a lot of their games. Yeah, and then they ran a play for uh, Pat Connaughton. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm curious. Like New Orleans is not playing a very long rotation, and they're working very hard. I wonder if that effect repeats itself but i uh you were t- i think i was saying this to you or someone it's uh speaking of poetic it's kind of poetic that drew holiday had such a good game the same night the process sort of reached its new stage of uh with the blowout in game one well, and evan turner's playing for portland and that young's playing for the pacers yeah. all these process pieces that were left you know cast aside to, mm. to create it that uh yeah, there's a lot of symmetry to these playoffs there's no doubt about it 
So where's Jaleel Okafor? Is what I'm saying. Then. <laughs> uh, isn't he going to be our summer intern, Mike? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you'll see his byline on the website. I'll give it. We'll give him all the assignments that you guys. I'm not want. sure if he's in good enough shape to write with you guys. <laughs> Tim, what's uh, what's another story in the playoffs that you've been you've enjoying that we haven't talked about yet? We covered most of them, I think. Yeah, you know, we uh, I like uh. I like basketball. Okay, cool. Like basketball. Yeah, I like like it too. With anything that we haven't covered that you're particularly uh, you've been enjoying, we touched on it for like a small second, but um, it'd be interesting. I'm so interested to see if Paul, how Paul George does, and how this is going to affect his choice this summer. I thought Game One was good for the OKC Paul George love affair to continue, but like that's. That's the bigger deal, though, right? Like, it's not how it's. It's really if it's enough for him to stay is really what's going on there right now. Do you buy his explanation that it doesn't really matter? Um, well, it's just, I don't even know if this is his explanation because he changes his mind every single day. But I thought I'm at so, one point <laughs> he has been exposed to the world. For this. <laughs> I, I'm so glad. I, I, didn't he say at one point that it didn't matter? Like he would think it, he would he would want to potentially want to stay no matter how they did in the playoffs. I forget. I feel like that's like three yeah, Paul George turns ago. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they do in the playoffs. Yeah, it's about his family. Like it, it changes. He's a liar, is what we're saying here. Because <laughs> I, if it didn't matter, he wouldn't have left the Pacers. Okay, that's true. Although he didn't choose to go to Oklahoma City, of course. Yeah, but like he was—he wanted to leave to achieve something, right? Like he's—it's not like he wanted to leave because he wanted to live somewhere else, even though Los Angeles. But oh, one thing I did want to mention about that series is we were talking about this at the time, and like, did it seem a little weird how Donovan Mitchell basically railroaded his railroaded his way back into the game against the uh, wishes of the trainers, and you know they're reporting that the the veterans. I thought that was strange. He was like visibly hobbling, and then they took him out, put him right back in. It felt really odd. Well, a little short-sighted, given it was game one on the road. Well, but it was also the other thing that like kind of thought it was weird about it was that uh, Dennis Scott, I think, was reporting during the game that the Jazz veterans were the ones like that were like, "You got to put him back in." Like, come on! Like Jay Crowder said something, and there was like a whole there was a whole thing there. Like, did, do you guys remember this? I feel like that's what happened. Well, they kind of need him, right? <laughs> <laughs> he is the, the shot creator. Of Dave Crowder wants Donovan Mitchell back in the game. <laughs> he was like visibly limping, though. It didn't look good. And they, it wasn't the game was kind of getting out of reach too. Like that, it wasn't that's like that's the point. Like you got to save your bullets for when you know you're. So are we trying win. to say? Are we trying to say that Jay Crowder is not a licensed medical professional? <laughs> He's the doctor Nick yeah, of that team. I mean, I yeah, like yeah. It's a renaissance man. Who knows what he's <laughs> capable of these days? <laughs> like, yeah, back everybody. Day, like back in the day, Bill Russell would, would, would play, but also coach the teams. You know, uh, Jay Crowder is the first trainer, uh, small forward. <laughs> player, player trainer. <laughs> Better trainer than he is small forward. <laughs> How much do trainers make? That would definitely save money if you had a player trainer. Uh, they don't make that much money. What, but Jay Crowder would be the highest paid trainer in the league. We can agree on that. Or the lowest, or you could or the say the best the, contract small forward. Yeah, I was going to say, or he's the lowest paid trainer player. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, you get the most efficiency out of how much you're paying him if you give him two jobs. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought that was a little strange. Um, but it's a, it's the same thing with Embiid, though. I mean, this was Mitchell's first playoff game. Mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. I can understand it. I just thought, I thought it was strange that. Um, they so obviously just acquiesced to the wish of their emotional players and yeah, brought them back in. Totally. Every player is going to want to play, except for quite, um, is going to want to play. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, that's, that's why I'm surprised thing, the Jazz. What's that? I said, that's the weird thing, isn't it? You have like these two examples of players like begging to come back when they're not even, like when they're, when they shouldn't. And then you have Kawhi who's like, no, I'm not risking it at all. And so you have like, yeah. I don't know. It's it's like the 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 duality of like a sports injury, right? Like mm-hmm. if you come and play through injury or like when you're hurt, you're this warrior, but then you also jeopardize your future. 
And then if you don't do it, like Kawhi, you get a longer future, but then you get people subtexting you mm-hmm. and saying all this shit about you. So. Did you say subtexting you? Oh, I guess, uh, yeah, subtexting you. you. That's what you were using. That's the... Oh, I thought, yeah, that's right. It does make sense as a, yeah. Um, the, it's also, I mean, I'll admit, and then we should probably wrap yeah, this up. Wrap like, ever since reading Tim's story on Dennis Smith and landing, I've been freaked the, freaked the fuck out that Donovan Mitchell is going to suffer a similar fate. And that's probably irrational and probably unfair, but that also informs how I feel about the story. <laughs> Well, am I the only one that that's like job, worried? Tim. Am I the only one that's worried about like the high flying and the jazz history with injuries and how much he needs his athleticism to be how awesome and all this stuff? Like, am I the only one worried about this? I'm worried that if he gets injured, Ben Simmons is going to wear a shirt that says "injured?" Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> a definition of injury, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and he's not going to be able to do anything to combat that. Are you injured or are you hurt? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's isn't that that old cliche the ultimate way to sum this up? This, this uh, the Kawhi conflict is people don't know, uh, except for maybe his quote unquote group, according to, to Pop. Um, yeah. But alas, um, good. This was this is pretty comprehensive, given we are no more than two games into any series right now <laughs> of the first round. Um, so I'm sure we'll be having everyone back on here, uh, Whitney, Tim, and Zito. Uh, in order to engage further in the playoffs and get you guys' thoughts as these series progress and, and we get uh, further on into uh, the conference finals, et cetera. So, um, oh, wait. I just, I just Mike, One last thing Mike, to, to add this is I just didn't realize that Gordon Hayward wasn't on the Celtics bench either. Was or, or wasn't? Wasn't. With Kyrie, I don't think Kyrie Irving was either. <laughs> but well, he's jogging around, right? That's not the same situation. Okay. All right. Right, we saw Gordon Hayward. We Gordon has been there, and he's been in the big mm-hmm. screen, and he's been, I mean, he's participated as best he can. He went to London with them. Kawhi, it's not like Kawhi. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's different. It's different. Um, also, yeah, don't try to drag Gordon down. Like, yeah. This. Yeah, yeah. Gordon will be there for game one next year, and uh, who knows where Kawhi will be next year for game one. So there's definitely a, a big difference there. But um, anyhow, this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you, uh, everyone, for uh, for joining us uh, here. It's uh, Tim Cato, Whitney Medworth, and Zito Madu. Always appreciate you guys uh, coming on and continue your great work as uh, as you continue to create that content for SB Nation backslash NBA uh, during the NBA playoffs here. I'm Ben Epstein. That's Mike Prada, and this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Mm-hmm.